0: Rally, sons of Notre Dame, oh, sing boy. her glory and sound her fame. <laughs> as we are recording this, in the radio, didn't you? As we are recording this in just a f- couple of hours, Notre Dame will be taking the field in Dublin, Ireland, to defeat Navy on the field of battle once again.
1: Let's hope Navy puts up a good battle, anyway.
0: You got a root for and Nathan, Navy always right? puts up a good battle. Anyway, hey guys, welcome to episode 113, constituting the 113th attempt to silence us. And as we always say, we shall not go quietly into the night. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> I just don't know what's going on with me. Hey guys, welcome. Uh, of course, you know who I am. Who are you?
1: I'm the guy that puts up with your crap every show. I think
0: that's right. Goes by the nickname <laughs> of Murph.
1: <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. Welcome back.
0: <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome back. Hey, some real quick housekeeping before we get started. Uh, just head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. We really appreciate it, guys. And it's it's really meant a lot to us seeing some of your comments. We've done some things based on your suggestions, guests, uh, new things that we've tried, so we really appreciate it. Also, head on over to our website, Podcast.com. We put everything there, including our book list. We've got, I mean, so many great books there, including our recent interview with Kathy Reichs, Uh, The Bone Mm -hmm. Hacker, you know, the one that they made the Fox show Bones about. So we got some really good stuff coming on. Also, follow us on that thing they call social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But where you got to be, Murph, I'm telling you where you got to be besides 2.30 Eastern on Saturday, which you guys won't be hearing this. You'll be hearing it after the fact. But if you're listening somehow magically now besides being there and watching Notre Dame become victorious, it's also heading on over to patreon.com slash game of crimes. Don't laugh at me. And don't call this North Dakota either. That is that's heresy. I will have the Pope excommunicate everybody in Orlando. All right.
1: He has he has his North North Dakota gear on today.
0: <laughs> Dude, I, well, not only that, Murphy, let me show you. Nobody else can see this. Look what else I got.
1: Oh jeez. He's got Notre Dame underwear on.
0: No, <laughs> I won't show you. How do you know? <laughs> no, I've got my Notre Dame socks on, my Notre Dame shirt, my Notre Dame hat. We are ready to go. But hey, besides that, where you got to be is patreon.com slash Game of Crimes.
1: You see who I have on today?
0: Uh, no. Oh, That's you mean the ones shirt. that lost to Ohio? The ones that lost to Michigan? Yeah. I've oh, seen don't ever say
1: that. Those people from Ohio will come down and kill you. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Harbaugh got the best of them last year. Free t-shirt. Free shirt. for yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash Game of Crimes That's where you need to be. We've got really good stuff that came out. In fact, we got some great comments about our last episode. You can't make this shit up. Even Michelle Kid tackerberry who's listening out there, said she hadn't laughed that hard in a long time. I think we had some good stories. And by the way, Murph, one of our small town police blotters. Is actually, we talked about the extended case on You Can't Make This Shit Up. I've got the the smaller version we're going to talk about on that. But head on over there, guys. Game of Crimes. Ooh. So it's patreon.com slash game of crimes. We've got some really good stuff coming out. You guys are going to enjoy it. 911, what's your emergency? Uh, we've got uh, our movie reviews, the Narcometer, the patented Narcometer. Depending on what level you're at will depend upon what kind of content you get. So just come on and join us over there. Also, make sure you go to Facebook. Go to Game of Crimes fans, type that in, join our Facebook group run by our favorite mafia queen, the velvet uh, glove over the iron fist, Sandy Salvato. Just join Game of Crimes fans, join the group with us, lots of fun. Uh, And you know what? Every now and then, Murphy actually gets on there and has to defend his honor because we put hillbilly shit on there.
1: (laughs) I am good with it. (laughs) I don't have a problem with it at all.
0: (laughs) Hey, even even this morning we had Fred Frederick Nicolosi, our buddy, who's normally a go Tigers guy. Too bad, Uh, but even he says go Irish, beat Navy. So, hey, Frederick, you're my man.
1: Fred, I don't know, man. I mean, think about it, Fred. You know who you're teaming up with here?
0: That's right, God's team. That's right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Hey, by the way, I think it was uh, Sandy posted on there about the uh, welcome to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> the guidelines for hurricanes. We've been okay. through that.
0: Yes, you failed the test, obviously. So you're still there. Most I people go too through last that. Year. <laughs>
1: we're, we're still here.
0: Still here. Well, speaking of still being here, guess what else is still here, Murph? Our next section. What? You know it's why? Time for? Because well, well, actually, first we got to give the disclaimer. Remember, we are a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take these stories seriously, but
1: you guys know we never take ourselves seriously. Let's have some fun.
0: And how do we provide proof beyond all reasonable doubt that we don't take ourselves seriously?
1: We have a special section we call Small Town Small Police
0: Blotter. That is actually the James Bond theme. Why am I doing that? Because had Sean Connery lived, I believe he would have been 93 years old. Might have been yesterday. So uh, this is a saluting. Bond. James Bond. One of the most famous lines in history. But you know guess what else is famous, Murph? What? The name the name of this next town. <laughs> Christina Salinas was arrested Saturday morning. She's thirty-seven, was arrested Sunday morning following a violent confrontation with her husband at the couple's home. <laughs> You're never gonna guess the name of this place in California.
1: Uh, kicked her ass, California, I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, rough and ready California, population five hundred and eleven. Salute. Salut. <laughs> so, according to investigators, Salinas was upset her husband made her leave the Penn Valley rodeo. Uh, she had consumed several large beers. That might have been a contributing factor. Mm-hmm. Wanted to remain at the rodeo and dance, reported at the Nevada County Sheriff's Office. After returning home, Salinas and her spouse, Anthony, began arguing. During the scuffle, Hill told deputies, <laughs> I've got to figure out how this happens. Salinas bit him in the hand. I get that. And the scrotum.
1: Oh, well, where was his hand? <laughs> maybe they were connected. I don't
0: know. <laughs> maybe, maybe he was hey. taking matters into his own hands. How, how do you allow yourself to be bit in the scroll? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> we're trying to keep this like an R-rated show, not triple X here.
0: Yeah, well, they responded to the call. They arrested her on felony domestic violence and a misdemeanor child cruelty camp because uh, she also struck the child's young daughter. That's never acceptable. Uh, she lists her occupation as landscaping, which apparently now we ought to change it to manscaping if she goes after the dude's scrotum.
1: <laughs> Who used to be one of our uh, advertisers? <laughs> yeah, here. hey, we still I
0: still got their <laughs> stuff, man. Great stuff.
1: Yeah, mine's still boxed up.
0: All right. You know, um, some people... They just have no self-awareness, Murph, and this next guy is proof of that. So, remember, Jared Fogle was the uh, Subway guy, but he got arrested for his sexual, uh, uh, I think, child pornography and sex-related offenses. So, you know, they kicked Mm -hmm. him out of there. So, Dwayne or Daniel Audie Wayne Smith, man, four names there. Daniel Audie Wayne Smith. Was uh, arrested by Alabama authorities. He is a Birmingham resident. He's on the state's sex offender list due to his 2009 conviction on attempted sexual abuse charges. The victim was a seven-year-old boy. Now, Smith was released from prison in 2013, currently unemployed, according to the state registry. He previously worked for an HVAC firm there in uh, Bessemer. So he shows up for his um, picture to be taken um, for his sex offender registry photo. And guess whose picture he has on there? Jared Fogle, the dude from Subway.
1: You're kidding. <laughs> oh, good Lord.
0: Uh, well, Fogle was Subway's 20, uh, their spokesperson. He was arrested in 2015 for possessing child pornography and paying a teenage girl for sex. He was sentenced to 15 years and eight months. He's in prison at the federal lockup in Englewood, Colorado. He has a July, 2029 release date. So, uh, Here's here's a, here's a pro tip for Fogel. Don't wear your own picture at your sex offender registry photo.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what an I thought you were going say he had a Trump on his, on his shirt or something.
0: <laughs> no. And, of course, Murph, our last one. This is one we talked about on You Can't Make This Shit Up. And uh-huh. it has meaning. So Luke Crisco, by the way, what a hell of a name, Luke Crisco, he was charged – Nabbed and charged with unlawful sexual contact and criminal invasion of privacy. According to cops, a woman attending the uh, Hanuman Yoga Festival entered the portable toilet Friday and noticed movement in the tank when she lifted the lid. After exiting the toilet, she sought help from a man who subsequently entered the toilet and saw the suspect hiding in the tank. <laughs> when Jesus we said you can't make this shit up, I'm telling you, that was true. So Luke Crisco, the man left, the suspect locked himself inside before fleeing 10 minutes later. Police described the toilet tank interloper who was covered in feces oh. as a tall white male with a brownish tan between six, four and 6'8". With, with a, a yellowish glow. Build. He also, yeah, he also <laughs> uses the nickname Sky So, uh, he was collared yesterday by Vale Police following a traffic stop. An alert cop realized Crisco matched the description and smell of the toilet (laughs) suspect.
1: (laughs) This is as gross now as it was. Oh, my God. How do
0: you get that stuff off of you? Uh, Oh, it's nasty. According to the chief, Boulder Police Chief, he said, we're grateful to the public for helping us resolve this disgusting case in an expeditious manner. I'll tell you what. (sighs) Would you like to be the guy that has to search him? And oh, then take hell. his clothes off.
1: <laughs> and he's not riding in my car.
0: No, that's why God created rookies. Come here, rookie.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: or open bed pickup trucks or a rope and chain and change him to the back and drag them about on down there. Oh, man. Oh, that's nasty. That's just so nasty.
0: Well, hey, guys, we say that with all fun because this next part is in all seriousness. Uh, we're not going to do a long intro on this because we did a really long one there, just kind of setting it up. But I will mm-hmm. tell you, this ties into episode 60. This ties into the movie The Sound of Freedom. And Murph, I know that you uh, helped set this up, too, with Ty Holland from uh, Operation Underground Railroad. I mean, what a story coming up.
1: This is, uh, I have the utmost respect for this man. We were introduced to him by Lou Velozzi, who we love to death. And uh, like you said, we, I don't want to waste any time either because everybody needs to hear this story. And this is one you're going to want to share with your family and your kids.
0: So... Before we can hear the story, i got to have you, Murph. Ask you, Murph, are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous, and most important game of all right now, the Game of Crimes?
1: You know what? This is reminiscent of Natasha Herzig's interview. So ladies and gentlemen, get in, sit down, shut up, listen, and hold on.
0: Hey, Murph, this is going. This is something we've been working on. We've been talking about since episode 60, Natasha Herzig, and her yep. story about how she was kidnapped, how she was trafficked. And I've been telling everybody ever since then, all my friends, anybody who has a daughter, listen to mm-hmm. episode 60 because the threat of human trafficking, the threat of what's going on 20 years ago, didn't even know what it was. Now it's like, it's the primary income you know for the cartel so you kind of helped get this thing geared up so uh, tell us real quick uh, about this intro before we introduce the man of the hour
1: yeah this was uh, uh, I heard about Operation Underground Railroad a long time ago well back during when uh, we were doing Natasha's interview and and I'd seen uh, the founder of, of OUR on I think it was the Today Show and I got interested in reached out, and it just didn't work out. We couldn't get our schedules together to do an interview. But then, lo and behold, we come across Mr. uh, today's guest, Mr. Ty Holland, who, as it turns out, is the director of undercover operations for Operation Underground Railroad. And, And the way we found out about Ty was through this hooligan that we brought on the show, one of our very first guests, a retired ATF agent by the name of Lou Velozzi.
0: Who, I mean, by the way, we, about? we made we made him everything he is today, being on our show. <laughs>
1: that's right. All right. That's right. But uh, I mean, that's a guy we love to death, and and it just it it. He called me just, uh, several weeks uh, ago, and he was in a in a country in Central America, and I I just assumed he was down there doing some law enforcement training, and um, then he called me a couple weeks after that, and we were catching up, and I said, "What were you doing down there? Who were you teaching?" And he's like, "I wasn't teaching anything. I was doing some undercover work." And that's how it led to the introduction to Ty here. So, Ty, welcome, brother. Glad to have you on the show.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here, guys. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yes, say that now. Wait till it's over.
0: Uh, (laughs) We'll we'll take your temperature then. (laughs) Well, Ty, as we do with it, first of all, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, As we do with everybody, Cosa Nostra, thing of ours. How did you get started in this thing of ours? What was the path that led you into where you are now? I mean, were you uh, like a hooligan in high school? You decided you want to be a cop? What's the deal?
2: well let's start out i gotta i gotta give my props to our buddy lou um i consider him a great friend and uh he's just a a great individual and i'm glad that he's he's made this introduction
1: um, absolutely and, and see i can talk openly about that because if he threatens me i'll call his wife
2: <laughs> that's right um out. what got me into law enforcement um no i asked I think, first
0: yeah
2: <laughs> i think uh you know, my dad—he was a fireman. So, sorry I, to hear
0: that, man. Uh, did you—you you, you turned out okay in spite of that, right?
2: Well, yeah. He—he <laughs> he likes to tell me I wasn't smart enough to be a, a oh. fireman. <laughs> oh, so so I had to take the second best route and be a cop. Um, so I saw the—I think I saw the 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 giving aspect, um, the giving back to the community aspect of it and so that was attractive. I kinda was that guy in high school. I played sports um where we' where at uh is it Washington state okay, a high school in washington so and I'd never liked when uh kids with like special needs uh, those type of individuals got picked on. I was always one of the ones that that kind of stood up for him and put the guys in play uh in check who were doing that kind of thing so I kind of had a um nurturing i guess uh taking care of thought process um I, I had a sense of duty uh for vulnerable people so and it's funny you being a DEA agent a pivotal i remember a pivotal moment um, was with the Kiki Camarena story, when that came out in the late '80s, I remember following that, and I really wanted to be a agent at that point. So, prior to graduation, going to going to college, I found out exactly what the uh, the DA needed. You needed a two point nine five grade point average or better. You needed a college degree. You needed to belong to a uh, national honor society. And there was a couple other things there. So (laughs) I graduated with exactly a 2.95 grade point average or better. Don't want to be an overachiever here, right? No, no. (laughs) That's what I I, I keep telling people. So it was literally 2.95. and
0: Was that rounded up or rounded down?
2: I think it was, I got a little help.
0: So I
2: was, I, I, I made friends with the professors. So, and there was one quarter there where I think I got like a three, two. So I immediately applied to a national oh, yeah. honor society and, and I got in and it was literally a, a quarter. So, uh, I, go to the DEA after graduation. And I said, you know, I want to be DA. So they put me through all the process. And it's about six months ago, I'm going through some papers and stuff. And I find my conditional offer of employment. When they handed me that, they told me I was going to go to New York, LA, Chicago, Detroit, Miami. And when I graduated uh, college, I was working at a juvenile uh, court facility.
0: what year was this?
2: That would have been 90, 92,
0: 93. And, and don't tell me you watched Miami Vice too.
2: <laughs> I watched Miami Vice. I God. love Miami Vice.
1: There you go. There any, you go. All any,
2: right. Any good cop that uh, in my days watched, watched Miami Vice. We We thought – it when I got into Vice, I I thought I was going to be rolling around in a Lamborghini, and that wasn't the thing. That's
0: my whole point. That's <laughs> deceptive advertising. You think you're going to do that, then when you go work, you see what do they give you? A shitty old '67 Ford, that, you know, with no hubcaps on it, you know, and half painted
2: Oldsmobile. It, Oldsmobile. <laughs> oh yeah, and with rusted out floorboards that you could drop your trash uh, down. It. I mean, it's yeah. Oh no, we had some bad, bad vehicles. But uh, you know, uh,
1: the the reason he said that about Miami Vice is because troopers never watch Miami Vice. They don't even know what that is all about. You know, they, they watch. Are you kidding? Uh, if it wasn't truck for us, there wouldn't
0: have been or, a Miami Vice. Who do you think makes most of their cases? <laughs> Come
2: on.
1: <laughs> uh, so I'm sorry.
2: I uh, I get. The conditional offer of employment, I'm being told I can go to any one of those places and and no offense to the listeners out there that live in those places, but uh I had just met my wife or or uh the the person that was going to be my wife, and she had a young child two years old at the time, and I was thinking, can i raise do I want to raise my kid in any one of those places?" I came to the answer of no. I don't want to offend anybody that that lives there because they're they're great places. Uh, I've been there several times since, and so I chose to do the local local police route. And but throughout my career, I worked with the the DEA on several occasions on OCDF cases and whatnot, and I loved working for them. And I'm kind of happy I didn't work. I worked with them. I'm glad I didn't work for them because I saw the enormous amount of paperwork and, <laughs> and, and steps they had to go through. Uh, they weren't as uh, mobile and agile as as the locals, uh, which I was used to.
0: We could increase so, the effectiveness of crime fighting if we eliminated paperwork by 75%. There would be more criminals captured.
1: I, I you, totally you agree. You know what, Ty? Uh- At one point, there was they were considering changing the Drug Enforcement Administration to the Drug Administration Administration because there was so damn much paperwork.
0: (laughs) I thought it was the Document Enforcement Administration. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was. I I was just shocked at at how. I mean, we're we're nimble as locals. I mean, if we want to turn around and you know we do a deal, and we want to just forward that and move forward to another one right away we could do that you guys had to stop get your approvals and all that stuff so they loved working with us and it allowed them to be be more effective i think
1: i always preferred working with the state and locals and and a lot of that comes from leadership. So if and I don't mean headquarters, I mean local leadership. Whether it's your RAC, your ASAC, or your special agent in charge of the division you're in, you know if you're if you're running a gun and and one case is leading into another and you need to keep going, you know, I mean <clears throat> sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is ask permission. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And and you know as far as leadership goes, we've all worked for for the people that it's easy to say no. It's safe to say no. Yeah. But the truly good leaders uh, in my career have been the ones that, yeah, let's do it.
0: I got in did trouble you? one time for showing a supervisor an investigation, so I said, hey, I'm going to introduce you to a new concept here, and I opened up a little three-by-five card that I had folded over, and it had the word yes on there. I said, I'd li- really like you to you know, increase your vocabulary, <laughs> and I want to expand your leadership capability. Let's try using the word yes, but you know what I did, though, Ty? I, because I would do the same trick as a trooper to get consent. Everybody wants to say no, so I quit asking, can I do something? I said, would you have any objection if I did something? The natural urge for this guy was to say no. So finally, he caught on to that. It's like, well, no, that's not what I meant. Well, that's what you said. I don't know what you meant, but that's what you said. That's when well, right, you showed
1: him that three by five card. Is that right before you got kicked out of the troopers?
0: Uh, no, no, that was I was already out of the troopers and you know on the local PD. So I yeah, because that was our our state patrol was not a state police. So to get on the state. The Kansas Bureau of Investigation. I was to your point. I had the opportunity to join them, but they said, "Hey, you're going to move from where I was at in Southwest Kansas to Southeast Kansas." Just got divorced and remarried. Um, kid on the way, and it's like, well, why am I going to move 400 miles, you know, and move away from everybody? So that was kind of the decision too. But when you said you got on the PD, wh- where were you at?
2: What police department? Yeah, that was uh, Seattle.
0: Okay, and when you got on, how big was the department at that time?
2: It's about. 1300, about 12, 1295, 1300.
0: Yeah, I just did a webinar with a, a captain um, from the Seattle Police Department. I think they're down to like 950 or 900, or maybe even below that now.
2: I think they're in the 800s. They lost a lot of people in uh, 2000, 2001. Um, it was a mass exodus. You mean 2020? Or twenty twenty. Sorry, sorry,
0: man. That's but that's a lot too. Um, but so when you started um, again, you, you got into this. Um, Would you? I mean, obviously, everybody goes through the academy, gets on patrol. Uh, do you do anything in the academy? We ought to be talking about anything you want to come clean about. So no, oh, I you got the smile that. already. There's something there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's
2: smiling. Well, the, the academy. It was uh It was fun, and uh, well looking back on it, it ends up being kind of fun but uh I moved into this uh flea bag hotel or mo uh apartment complex it was a couple blocks from from the uh academy
0: were these the kind that rent by the hour or by the month
2: well it it was by the month but it could have been by the hour i mean it was and the only reason i did it was cuz i actually lived I don't know. It would have been close to an hour away. I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to have to commute, possibly be late. Cause if you're late at the Academy, it's not a good thing.
0: So you guys weren't required to spend the night. You guys went home every
2: day. Yes. Yes, we could. So, so here,
1: you, here you are at Cecil's no tail motel.
2: Yes, it was, uh, it was when I say flea infested, literally they, I moved in and they had to bomb it. Cause yeah, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible and uh so but during the academy, I can tell you one story. We had a uh TAC officer that's what we call them TAC officers that they taught the different classes, right so one day before lunch uh, he uh he starts writing on the board, and they were the ten nonverbal pre attack indicators. you guys remember those? the thousand yard stare, thousand yard stare, yeah. bladed foot stance, that kind of stuff. So he, he's writing them on and it was right before lunch. So we're like kind of checking our watches, looking at the clock. And then he just writes them up there and he goes, Hey guys, uh, we're going to talk about this when when we get back. So we all leave when we get back, he had erased everything. <laughs> and so we're, I'm sitting there and he goes, yeah, hey, Mister Holland, name uh, name the ten pre-attack indicators, and I I'm sitting there like looking like a deer in the head.
0: You got a thousand-yard stare. There's the I'm, first oh, one. <laughs> I, I,
2: I, 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 I remembered the bladed foot stance or something because that was the shortest one. And so I go bladed foot stance. Oh, yep, all right, that's one. What's another? And uh, and I stumble uh uh uh, and he goes obviously he started yelling and screaming he goes obviously you're not dedicated you're uh uh i want you out of here get out of my class go you're out of the academy and i'm sitting there and i'm shaking and and <laughs> i he goes get up get up and he wouldn't stop and i went no and he kind of shocked look on his face what do you mean and he says Get out of here. Get out of here now. You're out of the academy. You're fired. And I'm going, oh, man. Obviously, I came to a spot where I knew I wasn't going to win this. So I start packing up my stuff. And he goes, Mr. Holland, sit down. What we're going to talk about now is stress. And so...
1: (laughs) He, he should have got, got stood he up and given the bladed foot stance.
2: Yeah, he did this whole thing so to me, so everybody else in the class could see me sweat, turn just white as a ghost. Literally, we were on a second floor of a building. I thought my life was over. I was going to just jump out the, the window. <laughs> okay,
1: now, and how big? But, how big are you, Ty? Th-
2: uh, I'm a good, pretty good-sized guy. How tall six, are you? Uh, 6'1". Uh,
1: yeah, so. you got some pretty broad shoulders there. Our, our <laughs> listeners can't
2: see it. But. but, uh, so that was kind of a funny story there. So get done with the academy, uh, going to the, obviously, patrol, right? Everyone starts in patrol. Mm-hmm. And, uh, spent time in patrol, went for a minute to the bicycle unit kind of seattle seattle was uh, famous for the bicycle. All those hills oh, um, oh my god i know talk about the worst place to ride a bike is is seattle so and then uh there was a chance to go to uh, domestic assault uh, as a detective put in for that got that uh spent a couple years there went to narcotics then on to major crimes uh, where major crimes was great. It was a newly formed unit that uh, we had a big auto theft problem in Seattle at that time. It was about 2004. And it was it was off the, off the hook. So we uh, put together this unit to go after that. We ended up being extremely successful. but then that kind of morphed into we were more uh, person specific, not crime specific. So, if you were a prolific auto thief burglar uh narcotics, whatever, and you came on our radio or on our radar, we tailored the investigation to go after you, whether in an undercover capacity whatever so that that was awesome time of my life uh that we were new unit, we were running and gunning it uh we were all young, hungry. We would we would wake up in the morning and next thing you know, or true story, wife would say, Hey, I need our daughter picked up at school. <laughs> oh sure, yeah, I got right. this. <laughs> I got this, no problem. And then uh what time? Oh, three o'clock, okay. So I'd go to work, next thing you know, about one o'clock, I'm calling her from uh South South Oregon. Going yeah about picking up uh, the daughter it's not going to happen we're on a, we're falling the money down to uh, California don't know when I'm going to be home um, so though we, we were doing can that Can you
1: hold the phone away from your ear
2: yes oh oh I'm 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 lucky that she she's stuck with me these many years uh, she's 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 incredible but uh, those are the type of stuff we did and then I went to uh, after that. Went to Internet Crimes Against Children. Uh, I, if there was one thing I was lacking, it was uh, computer. You know, obviously computer stuff. This was around 2009. And, uh, the, Did you
0: ever go to training from an organization called IASIS?
2: IASIS.
0: The International Association of Computer Investigative Specialists?
2: No, I have not.
0: We used to train back in the days before it officially became ICAC, but we had a lot of the— uh, child pornography investigators and stuff. We were doing stuff for, with the FBI you know, back in the day, but yeah, but uh, that was the, <clears throat> that was the, people don't realize, uh, you know, and a lot of folks saw it coming. It's kind of like, yeah, this is going to get worse before it gets better. You know, the initial, and the hard part about ICAC, or even the child porn investigations, we're talking about this in the pre-call. It's the images you see that you never get out of your mind.
2: Oh, that's, that's, I remember the first, first image I've seen, I saw when I was in the when i was in the unit and once you see something you cannot unsee it and the depravity out there is i'm glad that most people haven't seen what what we've seen i mean could you imagine could you imagine the miserable world we'd be in if Everybody was walking around that saw what what we've seen.
0: Did you guys have like a uh, a time limit on the amount of time they allowed you on the task force to have to go through a psychological eval? You know, on a regular basis.
2: Not back then, when uh, not back then, but now I believe they do have uh, embedded. Uh, what do you call that? Embedded doctors that uh, the investigators can go see. But uh, back when I was doing it, they didn't they didn't have that. So and then after uh, work, I did the undercover work in internet crime. So I would target uh, individuals that were looking to uh, looking for children to have sex with. And so I when did. When you say that.
0: undercover, you were doing it online, though, right? I
2: was doing it online, but I would also meet with these guys.
0: Did you do the kind of the Prince Chris Hansen thing? You know, hey, you know, what are you doing here?
2: No, not necessarily. I I I did I did it different. I would uh obviously we'd befriend each other online and I would have something that he would want or he would think I did. So then I'd meet him. I'd meet him at Denny's, I'd meet him at Red Robin, I'd meet him at any restaurant. We would have lunch, talk about uh, the transaction that would happen and then he leaves nothing happens to him so he's thinking oh man this uh, this is true cuz everybody obviously before they meet thinks it's a set right you got to get past that and so but what he didn't know is i had people inside outside that could identify the vehicles that it could identify um him so then he'd leave we'd continue communicating and then he would uh we he'd meet at a certain time and place so what i i was one of the first to start doing these type of investigations up here and what i recognized was the way the law was written was just communicating could is is a
1: crime
2: Mm -hmm. but I recognize that if I, I mean, I, I, I've talked to thousands of these people and this was back in the Craigslist days. So I'd put an ad out, uh, you know, dad has a daughter type of thing. And then something real innocuous, get a bunch of email responses before it was taken down, but then start communicating. And what would start off as a, as a, let's say a hundred, 100 first couple emails and majority of them drop off because they're just joking around or they're just trolling doing whatever and then so i'd be left with let's say five or six that were real serious about this then i'd target those but the other ones i could have had conversations with them that that would have by technicality of the law I could have done a search warrant on their IP. I could have found them. Went into the mom's base the parents' basement and found this this man, but he didn't have any um he didn't have any intent to actually go through. Yeah, that would meeting.
0: have been just a stat at that point as opposed to right. really taking a bad guy off the street.
2: So I wasn't into that and I didn't I didn't want to bastardize the law. Okay. So I on all the cases that I did. I made the bad guy take a substantial step, which actually coming to a location on a a date and time, he had to actually come to a location. How would you
0: get past when they wanted to? Because they know they're not a cop. They don't know that you're not a cop yet. They'd want to, you know, you're trying to do things to convince them of that. But how would you handle the request? Because we would see this too on some of the other investigations. Hey, you got to send me something first. You know, send me something to show me that you're not a cop because a cop wouldn't be sending their belief is the cop wouldn't be sending them any child porn stuff.
2: Right. At, at no time did we send child porn, um, anything like that. Um, there were, I had some, some younger looking females that I had pictures of. They were clothed and everything, but they looked, looked young. And what these guys, when, when they think they have a live person that they can get, a lot of their their safety issues go out the window.
0: And I was gonna, I was hoping you'd say that, Murph, you know what this sounds exactly like. Remember when we're talking about nobody expects a cop to walk away from the deal. You walk away mm-hmm. from it, they get hungry because they want to make the deal. And then they, we, how many cases, how many times have we talked to people about the exact same thing?
1: Yeah. It's, if you're done undercover and you walk away, there's, a cop will never walk away from a deal. I think this guy's not a cop. Come back, come back. Let's talk some more.
2: Well, that's the, that's the thing, and I I spent the vast majority of my career in undercover assignments, and what I realized is those who appear to want it the least win, and it's it's worked when when the guy, bad guy would leave the restaurant, and nothing would happen to him, he'd go home, you knew he was looking in the rearview mirror his whole time, you knew he was you know thinking. Man, this this could be a setup, but when nothing happens to him, he's like, "All right, they they would never let a person walk away that that was into this that in their mind." But we used it as a way to identify um, people, and so that we'd know who who was going to show up. Hey, you know, and
0: I know you're developing things, but I. But, you know, we talked about the things you never unsee. But what was the worst case you remember coming across? What was the worst offender you dealt with?
2: Well, it's kind of my why. I'll tell you. Everyone has a why, right? And it's propelled me to still what I'm doing today. Was It was a Friday. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, on some Fridays you're like, end of the week it's going to be a short day i'm going to come in do a little bit bail out get ready for the weekend right well that was this friday that i'm talking about but at about nine o'clock in the morning i get a phone call from fbi in san diego and they're telling me they have a person in custody down there that they'd arrested and he was trying to gain favor And so he decided to, that he wanted to tell on some people up in Seattle area that were husband and wife were um, having sex with their five-year-old daughter and putting it out on the internet. And so I get the case, work it up at about four o'clock. I'm kicking in the dad's door. And he lived just outside Seattle. I'm kicking in his door, arrest him, talk to him.
0: Now, were you a task force agent as well at that time, FBI? Internet crimes against children.
2: We had our own. We had our own mm-hmm. unit.
0: Yeah, but but you weren't operating. Uh, so you guys weren't uh, TFO like under FBI or DEA no, or okay.
2: No, no. And so interview him. He admits to it, and he goes. I go, "Where's where's your wife? Is she at the store or something?" He goes, "Oh, no. We don't live together. We just get together and uh and do this. We're we're actually separate." So I go, "What? You get together to to molest your daughter and put it out online?" "Oh, yeah." So, find out where she lives. Arrest uh kick in her door. And I you guys have had cases like this where many, many, many years afterwards you it's vivid in your mind. The the entry to the house, the the layout of the house, just all this stuff. So I enter this I kick in the door, enter it, there's a galley kitchen right in front of me, turn to the right, that's the living room, walk behind the couch. When I walk behind the couch, this little five year old girl kind of looks up I tap her on the head and I say hey you're all right we got you that was the only contact that I had with that little five-year-old and so arrest the mom interview the mom get a statement and then social services come and get the get the little girl and all that so the following two and so after after talking with those two interviewing those two I knew that I had just sat down with the devil and we've all had cases where we've, we've sat with people and when you're done, you you feel like you have to
0: take uh, a shower, wash your mouth take, out, do something. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You just, you know, you've been around the devil incarnate. And so the next Tuesday, it was kind of a rough weekend. I remember, um, yeah, it was a rough weekend. I had to go over Eastern Washington to a birthday party didn't really want to be there. was quiet. You know, it, it, it affected me.
0: And you were, so,
2: how old was your daughter at this time? Uh, my daughter would have been, she would have been like 12. Okay. So I, uh, on Tuesday we had a forensic interview, uh, for the little girl. I was not trained to do forensic interviews of, of children. So but I had to be there since I was case detective. Hey,
0: and real quickly, tell, let people know that because there's regular interview and interrogation, and we didn't get formal training on a lot of that. You had, but you had to be careful, right, because anything you say, as, because the kids look at you as an authority figure, you had to be very careful that you didn't suggest things to them because they wanted to please adults. So how would – what would – you know? real quickly, what would be the difference between like a regular interview and a forensic interview?
2: Well, I'm not the best one to answer that because I didn't, uh, I didn't conduct the forensic interviews and I didn't go through the training of those, but I know, like you said, uh, it's about how you ask. It's about room setup. It's about, um, just how you approach things. You don't want to re-victimize the child and, but you need to get the information and, and and what happened, so but I had to be at this interview, so when I walk in the room i I walk into this it's kind of an office room, and all of a sudden, this little girl from across the room jumps up and comes running up to me and wraps her arms around my my legs cause, you know she's short and gives me a big hug, and I'm standing there. I'm uncomfortable at this moment. I'm looking around and then like the, what the, am I
0: supposed to do? Am I supposed yeah, to hug her back or
2: Yeah, it was it was like and then the foster mom gets up and comes up to the little girl and she goes, "Hey, do you know this man?" And what the little girl said um put me on the path to what I'm doing today. And that's yes. He's the one who saved me. And so, right then, I knew. Boom! It hit me like a ton of bricks. And you know, that's that's the reason I still do what I do. Is you know the the pain and suffering and and victimization that that little girl went through. I never want anyone to experience that. that.
1: that that's just and heartbreaking able and tear wrenching t- all at the same time. Yeah.
0: Have you been able to track her and uh, see how she's done?
2: Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I, I haven't. I lost touch with with that. And
0: uh, what happened you know, to the uh, things formerly referred to as parents, but uh, you know, referred to them as pieces of mm-hmm. shit? What happened to those two?
2: They each got uh, twenty eight years in prison. Was that enough? Uh, in my mind, they should be away forever. But uh, if you can do that to a child, and and get together and, and and victimize, and then go your separate ways, and then get back together and victimize the child. I mean, that's there's a there's a special place in hell for
1: sex oh, behavior.
2: People like that. Did you ever?
1: Um,
0: there was a thing went around on the dark web for a while, and I remember this guy. I think got arrested in Singapore, a couple other places. Were you ever familiar with that film called Daisy's Destruction?
2: It's funny you ask that. I uh, I've known about that case for quite some time. And, uh, yeah, he was an Australian and it was, it was, he got picked up in, uh, the Philippines. Philippines. Yeah. And yeah, he was an evil, evil, evil man. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad. I mean, it's, it's horrible. What?
0: uh, Well, this guy was a special piece of shit too, but it's like, this is where the dark web came in. You know, this is where you people say, what can you find on there? I mean, you find bad things on the internet, but you find some really bad things in certain places on the dark web. And that's where this guy was purveying some of his, uh, wares at that time. I just, uh, I was doing a thing on the dark web presentation. I was coming across that case. I mean, I was learning about it and just looking, following this guy, tracking what he was doing. It's like, you wonder how do people get to that point to where they, that's the way they view a human life. You know, they, and not just even, uh, a life, but the life of a child, you know, one of the most vulnerable people in the world is child or our elderly. How did, what, what is in their head that allows them to think that way? That's, we'll never figure it out, but that's something that's always troubled me is that how does that person, how does that piece of shit, uh, sperm donor and, uh, ovulator, um, how did they get, how did their thought process get to the point where they allowed that to happen to their child? And how did those two get together? And who comes up with the idea? goes one day, Hey, maybe we should have a kid and we'll do this to the kid. Uh, th- that's the stuff that makes you wonder about human nature. Well,
2: yeah, it's it's. I I cannot answer how a person, especially in that case, the uh, Daisy's destruction case. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, um, it's called Sixty Minutes Australia. You ever heard of that? Yeah. Yeah, Sixty Minutes Australia. You can get it on YouTube but they have an expose on, on that guy. Oh, okay. it's, it's about 25 minutes long or something, but they go, they talk to the investigator that tracked him from Australia into the Philippines and how they, how they found him. And, and two of his victims or two of his accomplices were young females, 16, 17, 18 year old females. That he instructed to go out and get, I think it was a 8 and a 12-year-old. This girl went out and got an 8 and 12-year-old cousin for the purpose of telling them, hey, we'll feed you and everything. So just for food. These animals look for uh, extreme vulnerability. And that's why they're in these different countries is they're going after, they know these people are super poor. They're super desperate and they have power over that. So that's how he got these, did extremely awful things to him with the help of the young um, 17 year old, I think at the time. So, but these guys that do this are master manipulators. Bingo. (laughs) And I have a story for you. This is another story. Uh, very good family out of uh, out of Seattle. Here, their daughter graduated from a prestigious school, and it was she graduated. Be, she was going to go off to college. She's uh, down at a store on uh, one one day during the week. Guy comes up to her, sweet talks her. Within a couple of days, she's turning tricks for him, and so we get her, rescue her. She, uh, get the bad guy. I'm talking to the bad guy and the bad guy during the interview, first time it ever happened to me, the guy goes, Hey, detective Holmes, um, can I ask you something? I go, sure. I'll play your game. And he goes, did you go to college? I said, yeah, I went to college. He goes, how, how many years? Oh, you know, I got my four year degree. And he goes, okay, well, I want to tell you something. I spent as much time, or he asked me, did you study a lot? And I go, well, I got a 2.95. Great point. Uh, so Rounded I up with a
0: little help as we yeah, established earlier. I didn't earlier.
2: study all that much, but I studied a lot, I guess. And so he goes, I want to tell you something. I spent that amount of time and more studying one subject. And I go, what's that? And he goes, how to manipulate girls. So what I'm, what that tells what I'm telling your audience here is the people that your children are going up against have a doctorate.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not a fair
2: fight. It's not a fair fight. And they know, and this guy told me, he says, I'd go to the mall and I'd look, I'd go up to a group of girls and I'd go up there and I, would Hey, sweet talk. And he goes, the ones that looked me in the eye and said, "Hey, uh, thank you," he says, I, "I wouldn't pay any attention to those." He goes, "Those, those, I'm not even going to try," because they had uh, uh, self confidence. He goes, "The ones that I'm looking for are the ones that look at the ground, and and is shy. Look at the ground, won't look me in the eye." He goes, "I know I can get them because they have." They don't have self-confidence. So if there's one thing that your audience takes from this, I hope it's, hey, teach your kids self-confidence because a little thing like looking a person in the eye when they give you a compliment could actually save them from uh, from being victimized. And these guys, are, are they're good at what they do and they're getting better.
0: Well, it's like being in prison you know we were us talking to somebody about this uh, the other day I said they all they have is time when they're in there they have time to think about or do things or train on things, you know, where uh, they've got videos uh, from the gang units or other stuff of guys in there demonstrating how to get out of handcuffing techniques and how to break handcuffs, you know, and and when they're doing this, this is what you do. I mean, they're training them on how to respond. That's all they have is time. And so to your point, this guy's got a doctorate. Why? Because he he started doing it, found out he probably had a knack for it. And then he just kept doing it and doing it because guess what? He had the time to focus, to your point, on a single skill to serve what he did.
2: Right, exactly.
0: So what happened with this guy?
2: Uh he's he he he's probably out now but he got he got convicted of that. And, and so How many and, girls
0: how many girls do you think he victimized?
2: I know it was more than the one that we got. So um but I mean we saved the ones we can save. You know, and that's uh you know I, it's the, the there's so many out there that it it's it's sad there it really is
0: well let's talk about let's continue your time on Seattle PD first so um let's book in this how many years did you have on Seattle PD when you punched out Twenty eight and a half. 28 and a half so during that 28 and a half what did you keep your focus then once you got into things like ICAC and, and doing this, once you found your why, did you, were you able to stay doing that for your career? Yes. I, uh,
2: I then went from ICAC in about 2013, I went to vice our vice unit. And so we were doing, uh, doing vice obviously stuff, you know, the prostitution, uh, did cases on it. Our vice unit would actually uh, handle cases of sexual assault against um, against prostitutes. So if they if if prostitutes were raped and and that, then uh, we would uh, we would uh, get those cases. And so we did. I did that, and then we uh, changed the unit into it like human trafficking.
1: Unit. So I'm I'm surprised to hear that the. Uh I'm surprised to hear that the prostitutes would would cooperate
2: with you guys. Well, a lot of times they didn't.
1: Is, are these girls that just had been brutalized?
2: Oh yes. I mean, um, no one gets into prostitution because they they want to. It's uh, it's life experiences put them in that situation where they where they're doing that. I mean, I don't think there's a five-year-old or six, seven-year-old that grows up when you ask them what they want to do for when they grow up, say they want to have sex with strange men.
0: Out of all the women you dealt with, how many of those were forced into it, and how many of those you think uh, were got into it because of circumstances like broke out on the street? You know, just and how in, in Seattle were they? Could they work without a pimp? Could they work without somebody else? Or how many how many could work just as a solo?
2: I wouldn't have the exact number or just
0: but just a feel for it, you know.
2: Um I think the majority of them had had a pimp. They wouldn't necessarily admit it because they were taught, you know, don't put it out there that, that they have a pimp. But in Seattle, it was pretty tough for a for a girl to work without a pimp because there were pimps up there and they'd constantly be be uh hitting them up and they'd constantly be uh it, it it would be pretty hard to uh and we had a lot in seattle we had a lot of girls come from out of state california and stuff so their pimp may not have been up in seattle with them but they were sending money back
0: so one of our episodes we did was with dave reichert uh the green river killer and we had a long discussion about Gary Ridgway and him picking up prostitutes, you know, what he did with him all around the Seattle area, King County area. And I mean, the 80s, 90s kind of the heyday for some of that. During your time there, did the prostitution problem get worse? Did it get better? Did it stay the same, you know, from years prior?
2: Oh, I think it got it it, it got worse. Um yeah, I think it got worse. You can you can go up on Aurora Avenue right now and I mean, there's, there's girls walking around with, I mean, damn near naked. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's gotten worse. There's a, um, this, and I believe in the the victim centered approach because these are, are victims, but when, um, when you take the arrest powers away or um forcing them into treatment or or getting help we we end up as police you end up not having really any enforcement power, and they understand that so then when um when that happens and they know that they can If they're approached by the police, they can just walk away. They can just, um, you know, it makes it real hard for behavior to to change. And I mean, we we when I was in the vice, you know, we offered services left and right. We'd have service providers when we when we did uh, um, enforcement. We would bring them to a location, and there'd be service providers there. They had every opportunity to, to get help, to get the needed help.
0: How many of them would take advantage of it? One out of 10, one out of 15, 20?
2: Yeah, it was uh, – the numbers weren't yeah. real great, but they improved each time so it might be three times we would catch the person doing the behavior and for the first two or three times they said, you know, Hey, no, I'm not interested, not interested." But then maybe that third or fourth time, they did take us up on it. And it was, it was good. Um, I mean, these, these, these people are victims.
1: Well, so that,
0: You know, know, I'm glad you said that. I'm just
1: thinking about, you know, people always talk about, well, what's wrong with prostitution? It's a victimless crime. Ask that to these poor girls that are put into that situation that are sex trafficked, that are part of human trafficking, that are beaten within an inch of their lives. You know, when you have a pimp, that does offer some form of protection, a certain limit. But the money they're making is certainly not theirs. They get a very small amount of the money. So for somebody to say that prostitution is a victimless crime is extremely naive. In my opinion,
0: so for quite a few years, I was on the International Association of Chiefs of Police uh, Community Policing Committee, and some of the innovative programs we saw, actually some of them got awards for were some of these, and it was one of my friends, Rich Bill, used to be the Chief of Police in Dayton, Ohio. He took a different approach, like you were saying, you got to you know people would vilify them well, she's a prostitute, she's this as opposed to stepping back and going, "Wait a minute, who's the real victim here? To your point, she's getting manipulated. You know who else has degrees in ma- manipulation pimps?" Whether it's physical, whether it's psychological, they know how to manipulate these people. And they did exactly what you said. They started looking at programs and what can we do instead of treating them as suspects, start treating them as somebody who's been victimized? And try and get them services, and I, I'm glad to see that change because I had my eyes open talking with Natasha Herzig and what she mm. went through and what she went through after she got out of it, what she thought of herself, her self worth, the things that she did, because she she said it, you know, on our podcast, she got into the adult entertainment industry because she thought she had no value anymore. That's what she thought of herself, and that's the long term damage that's done to these women is that uh, from a self esteem to your point of self confidence. I don't know if these. I don't know if these ladies ever get it back, or if it takes you know years.
2: It's it's definite definite trauma. I mean they they it's it's trauma, and so you know. However, the best way to to help that trauma. I mean, I believe we as a a society we we owe that to them, and these these men that are using the the prostitutes and that are up there I mean they have one thing and one thing in common and that's they they look at they look at uh, the girls as nothing but a transaction like they can buy a person that person has to do what they want for however long they want to do it and then so that that transactional feeling um or thinking of a person i never understood that
0: that's the devaluation of life that's that's what's hurt us in so many different areas um well, let's, let's start setting the stage for a little bit because we want to talk about Operation Underground Railroad. So as you're going through this career, was it just time for you to retire? I mean, did you max out on what you could from retirement or did you say, I've had enough, i got to go do something else? What was, your, what was your decision on pulling
2: the pin? Well, I think we all got to a point or get to a point where you kind of know you're done policing but I wasn't done serving, and so that's that's where I was. That's that's where I was kind of conflicted. And since 2006, I've been in kind of this human trafficking realm. I worked with uh, a, a group, International Justice Mission, and I was a contractor with them. And so I would I did a lot of work in Southeast Asia, um, infiltrating organizations and and um uh, bars and nightclubs and finding trafficked victims. So I did that for for many years and then in 2016 I uh got hooked up with Operation Underground Railroad. And so I was doing work with them on a contract basis. So I would go to uh, any number of countries and do, do cases and stuff like that. So in about 2000 or 2022, 20, late 2021, uh, we started talking and they needed a director of special operations. And so it kind of worked out where I said, okay, it's time. I can go do, I can go do this and, and still, still serve.
0: Still have a mission.
2: And, and be a part of a fantastic, fantastic organization.
0: Hey, players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out, as always, on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.